This picture has been on social media, and the story behind it goes like this. A homeless man was found on his knees in the street praying and giving thanks. When he was asked why a homeless man with nothing would be thanking God, he replied, God will never forsake me. And though I might not have much in material things, I have the greatest gift of all, salvation, thanks to Jesus Christ. He goes on to say, my riches don't come from man and money, but from our heavenly Father. As I sat there at my computer with a smile on my face, I thought, this man homeless, yet so rich. I strolled down to read the comments and some responses I predicted, and then there was this one. It's easy to believe in a God and give thanks to it when you have no other choice. You all see a homeless man. I see a pathetic, lazy, good-for-nothing bum. As I sat there in utter shock, I thought, man, this guy has it all wrong. It's actually easier to believe in God when life is going well and you're problem-free. There's a spiritual beauty in what this homeless man was saying. He's speaking of eternal riches and kingdom gain, not earthly riches and financial gain. That young man seen the outward appearance, but I am thankful that the Lord looks beyond outward appearance and sees the heart of a man. This is what the kingdom parables are about. The parables are a reflection of the eternal kingdom that will begin in the hearts of men and women and spread throughout the world. This is what makes the book of Matthew so unique. He records 50 references to the kingdom because this was Jesus' primary teaching. He presented the kingdom as a present reality and a future hope. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, it says, Christ says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. Matthew 24, 14 says, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. We also see a glimpse of it in the book of James, chapter 2, verse 5. It says, listen, my beloved brothers, has God not chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heir to the kingdom which he has promised to those who love him? That is the point the young man is missing. That is what the homeless man was hinting to. Listen for it. God will never forsake me. And though I might not have much in material things, you hear it? That's present reality. I have the greatest gift of all, salvation, thanks to Jesus Christ. That is future hope. The New Testament, eternal life and salvation is used interchangeably and indicates God's active reign in the world. The parable just said the of the sheep and the goats does exactly that for us. It reveals the Lord's sovereignty. 
When a son of man comes in all his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He opens us up into the parable with a statement, the son of man. So the question becomes, why did he say the son of man instead of the son of God? Because the book of John teaches us that there is a purpose behind Christ's sonship. In John chapter 20, it says that by believing you may have life in his name. So John puts the emphasis on belief in Jesus as a mandatory prerequisite for eternal life. And we know this as biblical truth. So why on earth would he start the parable out by saying the son of man? Matthew uses the term son of David because he wanted to remind the Jews of the unconditional covenant God made to establish David's throne forever. However, the term son of man is used 81 times in the Gospels, and it has a symbol of Christ's authority, his glory, and sovereign power. This is critical here because Matthew, Mark, Luke deals differently with Christ's humanity. They show us that Jesus lived in a particular time in history in order to set us up to see his humanity. Born of a virgin named Mary, his body in human form matured to the age of 30. He developed a relationship and ate meals with his disciples cried at Lazarus' funeral, and was crucified on a cross. And yet still, the uniqueness of Matthew's gospel's presentation leaves something out that even the other gospels cannot unravel for us. When we see the gospels, we get the historical presentation on what happens when the word became flesh and tabernacled among us but we don't get the theological philosophy that surrounds what happened in the spiritual realm because he came and tabernacled among us. And so the parables go behind the historical, breaks us into the physiological, so we can have a strong foundation for our theology that surrounds sanctification, appropriation, redemption, adoption, and justification. It's one thing to know Jesus in his humanity based on eyewitness records. It's totally different to get the revelation of Jesus in his divine simplicity. In The Great Divorce, C.S. Lewis says, God is simple philosophically. God is inextricably one. God's nature is not composed of parts like humans. God's mind is here, fully, undivided. When you talk to God, you have his full attention. 
In God, holiness and love is inextricably united. He also says hell is an expression of God's love as well. Everything that God does is an act of holy love. So when the parable says, the king will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left, that is an act of God's holy love. All throughout the Bible, this principle is taught. We need to have the ability to see past the temporal into the eternal. The Gospel of Matthew was written directly to the Jews in order to reveal Jesus as the complete fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies concerning the promised Messiah because Jesus Christ is king. They were expecting a political kingdom, liberation from oppression of Roman rule, and relief from heavy government taxes kind of reminds me of today's political campaigns. Vote for me and I will make our kingdom great again. Vote for me and I will level the playing field for every nation. No, no, vote for me so I can liberate you from the powers that be. Today's political candidates fail to realize that Jesus Christ is king. The Jews expected a king who would rule with an iron fist, giving them position of power in the kingdom, and yet they received a kingdom that reflected holy love and grace in the form of a child born into the humblest of places. What kind of kingdom are you expecting? Can any one of the candidates really give you peace and joy, teach you gentleness, kindness, self-control, and love? No matter who becomes president, Jesus Christ is king. His victory over the power of sin and death gives him all authority in heaven and in earth. There is a universality about the kingdom. In the Old Testament, the expectations attached to the kingdom was an earthly monarchy that will restore independence and power over the earth for the Jews' behalf. When Jesus came on the scene, he redefined the kingdom as far more greater than an earthly kingdom that is limited in both scope and power. And it can only come through him and is available all, to all those who seek it. But the road has a narrow way that demands more than just outward profession. The parable says, the king will say, you did not feed me or give me anything to drink. You did not clothe, welcome, or come visit me. And because of that, receive eternal punishment. Those on his left, as we seen, was just like, oh, Lord, no, Jesus, no. When did we see you needing any of these things? And the king said, 
Whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. As a parent, you want the best for your child, best friends, best schools, opportunities. So when someone takes the time to invest in your children, you share in your children's feelings of importance, joy, hope, and appreciation towards those who cared. Why? Because what they've done unto your child, they've done unto you. The king said to those on his right, enter into life because you cared for the least of these. Maybe, just maybe, what the world sees as charity and the church uses as a discipleship tool is actually to God kingdom fruit. There seems to be a correlation between the proper and improper way to care for the least of these and eternal life. So I borrowed from the parable of the two sons so we can see a progression in the thought pertaining to the kingdom. The parable invites us into a conversation that Jesus is having with the chief priests and elders. And Jesus basically says, those you see as the unworthy the tax collectors, the prostitutes, they are the ones entering into the kingdom ahead of you because they repented, followed after righteousness, and believed the kingdom's gospel. So within this parable, Jesus makes a key statement. He says in Matthew chapter 21, verse 43, Therefore, I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken from you and given to a people who will produce its fruit. This statement makes a claim that signifies a relationship between the sustainability of a Christian walk and eternal life in the kingdom of God. This is important here because the consequences of not producing kingdom fruit in the parable of the two sons is revealed in the parable of the sheep and the goats during the separation of the righteous and the unrighteous. The kingdom of God will be given to a people who will produce its fruit. You guys, when I read this, I was astonished. Not only does the kingdom have its own gospel, it has its own fruit. And we are expected to produce it. The Bible says Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. Okay, let me break this down. Jesus preached the kingdom's gospel, which is a seed of truth and eternal life. That seed produced a fruit that fed 5,000 men, women, and children, healed the blind and the lame, and set free those who were demon-possessed. Could this be the reason that Christ commands compassion to the poor, the helpless, the social outcast, those marked or damaged by life? 
This just might be the reason because he knows that we are capable of producing kingdom fruit. But unfortunately, we choose not to produce that fruit. Why? For many reasons. One is because we see it as charity that would become toxic if we continue. I mean, Jesus did say the poor will be with us always, right? Well, maybe he said that because he knew that injustice and the lack of compassion living in the hearts of some of us would always keep the poor poor. Or maybe we only use it as a discipleship tool to bring people into our church, not because we care about them, but so we can look like we care. And if that is true, then woe to us, church, because we will be the ones standing in the front of the king and say, Lord, Lord, did we not do these things in your name? And the king will say plainly, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. And let me say this. For those of you who are afraid to help people because you feel you might get burned, well, you just might. Because there are very small few who take advantage of the system. Jesus says, behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as a serpent and harmless as a dove. Now let me say this, if anyone has taken advantage of your generosity before, then on their behalf, I want to say, I am sorry. Your feelings are valid. Please forgive them. And if you never hear it from them, thank you. Thank you for all you've done. Now, there are those who are born into and harassed by people and systems to the point that it's hard to trust. It's hard to see the light at the end of the tunnel. Matthew recalls a time when Jesus preached the gospel of the kingdom. He says, when Jesus saw the crowds, he was moved with compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. The book of John captures a critical point in God's plan of redemption. Through the profoundness of Jesus' words, believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe because of the works you have seen me do, or in other words, the kingdom fruit you have seen me produce. Some people's lives are so hard that they are locked in survival mode. Those are the ones that will believe that we are in the Father and the Father is in us because of our works, feeding them, clothing them, and visiting them. Christ says, very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me, 
will do the works I have been doing. But even greater things than these you will do. Jesus' relentless ministry was seen in his compassion for the people. We are Christ's ambassadors, and he is making his appeal through us. Joan of Arc was quoted saying, I am the drum for which Christ is beating out his message. Church, we are that drum. When we cultivate the fruit that is a direct result of relationship we have in Christ, there is something within us that happens. I remember when I was young, I had this new doll my mom bought me. And my mom has a daughter or has a friend who has a daughter named Amy. And they would come over to visit for the weekend. And every time they came over, I had to share my toys. And I thought, no, mm-mm. Not this time. So I hid my doll and I handpicked toys ahead of time and put them out in plain view, thinking that she would just go and play with one of those things. But of course, she found my new doll, and my mom, being the mother that she is, told me to let her play with it. So of course, I threw this big fit, cried these big crocodile tears, and started stumping my feet against the floor. And my mom pulled me to the side and said something to me that I would never forget. She said, Sia, you were so happy to get that doll. But do you see how much joy that doll brings to her? Then I seen it for the first time, joy. It was so captivating that I forgot I was having a meltdown. Christ is our source of joy. So why would we not want to share him with the world? You guys, God has revealed himself to me more times within the lives that I minister to than in my own life. I know God as a provider, a protector, a way maker, Yet I have seen him as a healer, a liberator, a friend that sticks closer than a brother in the lives of others. Please know that I'm not asking you just to do more or just to add more to your plate or even just care more. I'm just clarifying the nature of the kingdom because you are fully capable of producing its fruit. However, you can ask yourself this question. Does your devotion to Jesus reflect love towards others? I heard it said, you can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. Church, there is a reason why the parable distinguishes between the righteous and the unrighteous and then defines it within our ability to care for the least of these. God is preparing us and molding us so that his kingdom can be firmly established throughout the world. It is his kingdom come, his will be undone, his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
when we are actively present, is a confirmation, the evidence, and testimony to a fallen world that the kingdom of God is near to them. That's the revelation that the homeless man received. God has entrusted us, church, with something far more precious than life itself. And that's the gospel of the kingdom. You are fully capable of producing its fruit. So what does this mean for us personally? There are three things that I want us to capture. The first one is, raise your kids and your grandkids to be sheep and shepherds. If Jesus is right that the poor will be with us always, then what greater legacy to lead to the next generation than your children or your grandchildren who are fully capable and able to serve with compassion the least of these in their lifetime. Two, our church is already producing kingdom fruit within our community. And if you wanna be part of that, then you can go to our website called Serve Grant County. You get online, you put your name in there, days and times that you're available, and they'll give you a list of agencies that you can connect to. And if you don't have the time, but you have the resources, then you can give to our outreach fund so we can continue to be the hands and the feet to those who are in our community, but also those in the world. Three, producing kingdom fruit is as basic as loving those that are already in your care. It's important that we do this with a mindset of social ministry, not solo ministry. You have to be wise enough to invite others in or you might get burned. It also heightens the ability for you to be taken advantage of. Remember, it's okay to say no sometimes. It's okay to need a break. Even Jesus needed time to himself. It is in those times of rest that we can be filled by the Spirit and pour out compassion to those who are in front of us and those that God will direct in our care. <clears throat> 